Uh, I think everybody agrees that the world that we live in is a mess, isn't it? It's, it's so many things going on. The COVID mess that we're dealing with, you know, the stock market took a plunge a while back and retirement funds were really um, getting a scare, but it's coming back. I'm sure it's going to go down again here eventually, but uh, politics, my gosh, it's a mess. We've got the red states and the blue states fighting with each other and arguing with each other. The riots are taking place. Antifa is on the rise and they're threatening to become armed now and take up arms and it just looks like it's going to be a big mess. We're defunding the police in some of our cities, which I think, you know, we just sit back with our mouths hanging open thinking to ourselves, what in the world is going on? If you are in any way opposed to anything that's going on or anything that you see, you're labeled as racist. And little by little, your religious freedoms are being taken away, whether you realize it or not. Let's face it, guys, life is scary. It really is. Um, it's almost as if the curtain has been pulled back in this country. It's been pulled back to expose the dirty underbelly of our nation and the evil that's really there. Uh, it's been percolating under the surface for many, many years, but we haven't always seen it until recently. And it's like all of a sudden things have become more brazen and bold and out in the open, and now they've picked up steam and gotten courage and confidence, and it's like we're heading downhill faster than ever before. Now, I cringe to think what the next 10 years are going to look like. I really do. I've never felt that way before, but I feel it in my spirit that the next 10 years are going to really, really uh, be different for our nation. And even for our faith, as far as our freedom and so forth that we experience here in this country. What are your thoughts about it? You know, you think about it. You read the news. You see what's going on. What are you thinking? I'll bet you some of you are shocked. Some of you are scared to death. Some of you feel like you just want to go hide, go up on a mountain somewhere, get some freeze-dried food, get your guns, and just hide out and wait until it all happens because you don't want to deal with this down here with all of this mess going on in the cities especially. Some of you are angry and mad at what our officials have done or are doing. Some of us are just angry over the way in which the world is thinking and angry because... The home seems to be disintegrating before our eyes, and we're, we're witnessing the result of that. Some of you want to get revenge. Now, I know what that's like. You know, I'll sit in front of the TV sometimes, and I'll watch the news, and I'll see what people are saying and what people are thinking, and I just want to go beat them up. Now, I'm not a violent man, but I'll tell you right now, there are some things that people say and do in this country that just make me want to get even, make me want to get back at them. Um, and I'm sure to some degree you have thought the same thing. But now the question is, how do we respond? So how should we respond as Christians when all of this mess is going on in this world and when all of the things that are taking place and the things that have frightened us, what do we do as Christians? Now, you know, if you look back in history, the history of the church, you're going to realize that one thing comes through very clearly. And that is that in times like these, the church has always flourished. Oddly enough, in times like these, the church has just taken off. And it seems like when it's like um, some of this silly putty stuff the kids play with sometimes. You push it down here and it's squirting out over here. And that's kind of how the church has, has withstood the persecution over the years. Just think back with me to the first century church, you know. 
Think back to when just after the life of Christ and the disciples and the apostles are, 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 are taking the message throughout the world and they are suffering horrible persecution. Horrible. They are, they are they're running for their lives. They're hiding. It is a horrible situation. Something that I don't, we've never experienced and hopefully we never will. But, and the church just exploded because they took the message with them and they were bold and they were brazen and they, and they shared it and they loved people. Same thing happened in the period of the Reformation. Now this will be back in the, the 1500s, long in there, when uh, the world was in a grip of Catholicism. And it was oppressive. And it was like the Catholic uh, Church and the, the world monarchs had come together. And the European monarchs were ruling according to what the Catholic Church told them. And it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And people were being told things that weren't true and being taken advantage of until, the Mar- the, until Martin Luther and others, uh, reformers, stood up and said, you know, this is the gospel according to the scriptures. We're going to stand for this. We're going to preach this. And the persecution began. And they were persecuted mercilessly, but yet the, the message just took off and exploded. Same thing happened in China whenever the Communist Party took over and things began to tighten up in China. Everybody thought, that, well, the message that had been proclaimed in China for all of these years through the missionaries, the China missionaries that went in there, that would just be squelched. But no, it wasn't. The church went underground. And the, the, uh, the underground church just exploded. And um, it's been said that even today that the church in China is one of the strongest churches around. You just can't see it because of the believers that are, uh, are there. You know, when Jesus left the earth, when he ascended into heaven, on that day he left the disciples with a, a challenge, if you will, the, the commission, a charge. It was called the Great Commission, as we call it. It's in Matthew chapter 28. And in that passage, if you'll recall, he tells them, he says, now you go, in, you go into the world and you proclaim the gospel. And you baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you teach them to obey what I have told you. In other words, you go win them to Christ and you teach them the things that I've taught you. And you can be assured of this, that I will be with you all this, every step of the way, all the days of your life. I'll be with you and I will never forsake you. Now, I want you to understand something as we begin to move into this passage we're going to be looking at today. When we look back at that great commission being told to us that we are to take the message, we're to love people, we're to spread the gospel, we're to minister to each other, there are no conditions or limitations on that. For example, he never ever said, now you do this unless things get really bad and persecution is really strong and they take away your freedoms and they put you in jail and all these, then you can stop. You're, you're, you know, you, it's understandable that you're not held accountable for this anymore. He never said that. And they didn't. The Great Commission was never suspended in times of persecution. It just took off. It was even, uh, it was just in, in, in super drive or something. I don't know. You know, as we think about this today, we're, there's no time off for ministry. Uh, we are ministering all the time. We may or may not meet at church. That's not what I'm talking about because we make decisions like Chris was talking about based on the, what's best for us physically um, uh, with the sickness and so forth. So whether we are here or not is not really the issue. The question is what are you and I doing in way of obedience to the Great Commission 
and doing ministry and affecting lives as best we can in the situation. Because you see, no matter what the situation down through history, the commission was always the same. And they were told in the situation that you're in, do what I've told you to do. Now let's take Paul, for example. Paul preached the gospel, turned the world upside down. God puts him in prison for several years at a time. And so God leads him to write scriptures and still witness in prison. The, circ- the circumstances changed. The commission never did. The, the job never changed. And see, so you and I sit here and we think to ourselves, well, my goodness, what's going to happen to the church? And, and what are we going to do if we don't get to meet? And you know what? The answer is nothing. Nothing's going to happen to the church. The church is fine whether we meet here or stay in our homes and watch it on TV. The question is, what are we going to do in this situation that we find ourselves in to minister to people as best we can to keep fulfilling the Great Commission that we've been given and not caving into the situation, whatever it may be? And this is going to become more and more important to us as we move forward as a nation. I'm not talking about the sickness. I'm talking about just the circumstances of the world. So whether you are at work or at home, the commission is still the same. Whether you're on vacation or in the hospital, the commission is still the same. Whether you're in church on a Sunday or you're in prison, the the commission never changes. And so don't look at the circumstances and think to yourself that somehow we are off the hook that somehow we've got a pass now, somehow the Great Commission is on hold until things get back to normal. Because I don't think things ever will. Now the COVID may, um, hopefully, I'm, I'm sure they'll find a vaccine. And I write about the time the election is over, it'll come out. And uh, you'll see that. But the world situation that we're facing with all of the other things that are happening, I'm not too sure it's going to get better anytime soon. So we as a church need to move forward. In this text we're going to be looking at today, we're going to continue along with the study in James. James gives us instructions to persecuted Christians. And that's the people to whom he's writing. He's writing to the church, the early church that had been scattered all over the world, telling these people this is how you're to live now in view of the fact that you're scattered all over the place, in the view of the fact that you're persecuted. Now here's the point, okay? What I'm telling you today, here's what I'm trying to get across and to push and to emphasize as we go through this. Here's the point. That we have to live like Christians even when everything in our life is going wrong. That we have to live like Christians. We have to live the way God told us to. We have to adhere to the commission God has given us regardless of what's going on in life. And we're never, ever excused from that. Now let me read you the text and then we're going to talk about this quickly. In James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, let me read this for you. He says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
Above all, my brothers my, and my sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. So the question is this. How do we live like Christians when everything in life is going wrong and when everything's falling apart? What do we do? Because in this passage, he's going to share with you some ideas, some concepts that I want you to take home with you, okay? What am I supposed to be doing as a believer during this time? Number one, be patient and stand firm. Let me read again verses 7 and 8. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Now here you are. He says, in the middle of all this mess that you're going through, as horrible as it is, and I'm telling you that what you need to do first and foremost is to calm down. Just settle down and be patient. Just be patient and just go with the flow here because God is at work. In verse 8 he says, you too... Like the farmer, he says, be patient and stand firm. Be patient and stand firm. Now, why does he say to be patient of all things? Why would he use that as the guiding factor in how they're supposed to behave? Well, here's what I think. I think that faith and patience are synonymous. I believe that a person that is patient is relaxed in the Lord. They say, okay, Lord, it's in your hands. I can't, I can't fix it. I can't change it. And so I'm going to trust you, and what they do is then they become patient. They relax. And see, that's a key to understanding where your faith really lies. Because all of us that run around this life frantically worrying about everything, you've got to ask yourself, do I really, am I really trusting the Lord with this or not? That doesn't mean that I'm not concerned. It just means that I need to realize who's really in charge here. And so, yeah, he tells us to be patient. Don't take matters into your own hands is what he would be saying to us. You don't give up and go run and hide somewhere. You trust the Lord to work his plan, whatever that may be. You don't try to get even with the, the foolish people in the world. As much as the flesh comes out and you want to, you don't do that. You don't give in to the culture. You don't start acting like it. You don't start accepting or believing all of the heretical things you're going to be hearing and things that are going to be pushed on you here in the near future. But you stand firm. Yeah, you're active in government. You're active in speaking out. You're active in giving your two cents worth in every occasion that you can. You need to understand that because that's part of, of proclaiming the truth. But we do it prayerfully. We do it in love. We show kindness. Because this is the way in which the Great Commission is carried out. It's one thing for me to stand up for right and wrong, but it's the way in which I do it sometimes that drives people away from the Lord. I see on the TV at times people speaking up for the Lord, and they do it in such a way that I think to myself, if I were an unbeliever, I wouldn't want to listen to anything they've got to say. You're going to be attacked for your faith. You're going to, it's going to be a challenge. It's coming. And you and I have got to stand up for what is right. We don't cower back because we have to stand up for what is right. But we always stand up with this in the back of our minds, that God has called me to save that person, to bring that person to Christ, and to help that person, more so than to win a fight. And so we've got to approach it all with that. Now, I'm going to jump down and show you something, mainly because I don't have a, 
Okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to show you something I don't have an answer for, okay? In verse 12, I want to bring this out here because I, I question the verse. I don't know how it fits into the context, but yet I know that it does. It reads this. It says, above all. Now, that's how I know it ties into the context that he just talked about. He's saying, above all, I've told you this, but above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Now, condemned is a strong word. And we learn in Scripture, you know, it says, you are therefore now there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about heaven and hell here. I believe what he's saying is he's talking about being found guilty. You're going to be condemned as a sinner. You're going to be it's like you're going to be told or pointed out that you have done something wrong if you do this. Now, guys, I've read and studied on this verse trying to figure out how it fits into this context, and nobody seems to know. Now, the question is, what does he mean by swearing? Well, he's not talking about profanity or cursing. That certainly would be true, but that's not the context. He's saying something has, having to do with taking oaths is what he's talking about. He says, you can't swear by heaven or earth or anything else. He said, your word should be enough. A simple yes or a simple no. Now, again, we don't know why this is in here, what's going on. I believe there's probably something going on in the world at that time that he's addressing. Now, it could be that they're being forced to pledge allegiance or faithfulness to Rome. I, I don't know. It could be that people are, are demanding that they swear by some pagan god that you've got to, you've got to, you're, not, you're not one of those believers or whatever. I don't know. But I guess as I look at this, it, he's saying that, you know what, don't do this. Just let your yes or no, just be honest. Now, it could be that the condemnation that he's talking about is God saying that you're sinning, or it could be the government. In other words, it could be that they are, whatever they're doing, they're taking oaths or pledges, and it's not real, it's not truthful. They're being found out. It's sort of like perjury today. And they're now being condemned in the courts because of what they're doing. I don't know. I really don't. But I, I, I need to, needed to address it. I didn't want to just skip over it. But somehow in the context of what they're facing in that day and age, this is what he's dealing with with that statement. So the first thing that he says here to you is to be patient and stand firm. Here's the second thing, very quickly. Don't attack one another. Don't attack one another. Now watch what he says in verse 9. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Don't grumble against one another. Now here's... Here's what happens whenever you are put under pressure. When you are put under pressure and you find yourself afraid or stressed or frustrated, you usually lash out at the people that are closest to you. You know, one of the big concerns they had about this COVID mess is when they started quarantining everybody and nobody is going to school and people are just staying at home, child abuse went up. Spousal abuse went up. Because all of a sudden now you're becoming frustrated and the first people that are there for you to lash out at are your family members. He's saying sometimes we as Christians do the same thing. We'll lash out at each other. 
when things aren't going right or we don't agree or think something should be done differently, we'll start lashing out and blaming people and judging people. He's saying, don't do that. I can just imagine in that first century when they were dealing with this, they were, all, they were accusing each other of giving in to the pressure. They were calling each other heretic. They were probably saying, my faith is stronger than your faith. I'm a stronger Christian than you are, that sort of thing. But then again, you know what? You go into any church in America, you're going to find that today. Because we as Christians have a tendency to do that. We want to judge ourselves according to other people. And he's saying, look, things are bad enough. You don't need to be attacking each other. You need each other. You are relying on each other to minister to you and to give you assistance and to give you encouragement. In the church, there should never ever be a point in time where we attack each other, regardless of the situation, regardless of what's going on. This is, you know, there's always going to be differing opinions. Even this stuff about the church open to close, some churches close, some open to... Who's right or wrong? You know, it's a judgment call. Um, It would be easy for churches to attack each other and say, well, you're more spiritual than this one and so forth. None of that. None of that. We do what we are led to do with the wisdom and knowledge that we have as led by the Spirit. And when we go through times like this and we're squeezed, don't be lashing out at each other, okay? But love each other because this is what God would have us to do. Here's the third thing. What am I to do during this time? And that is this. You and I need to do what God has called you to do. Okay? What God has called you to do. Now, let's put this in the context of this Great Commission. The Great Commission is very broad. Go and disciples, baptize them, bring them into the church, the faith, so to speak, and then teach them to obey all the things that I've told you to do. That's what we're called upon to do. But how that works out in your life is going to be different than it works out in somebody else's life. Watch this in verse 10. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, here's what he's talking about. He says, you guys are being squeezed right now, and it's hard. He said, but if you want an example of perseverance and patience and faithfulness and all of these things, he said, go back and look at those Old Testament prophets because those guys were slaughtered. They were slaughtered by their own people because they spoke for God. He said, and yet they kept doing it. They kept speaking up. They kept proclaiming the name of the Lord and they kept dying. He said, there's your example of faith. There's your example of relaxing and trusting the Lord and doing what he called you to do and not worrying about what happens. See, the Great Commission in your life will look probably different than it does in mine or somebody else's. The Great Commission consists of evangelism and and ministering to each other and ministering to people in the community. It involves loving people that are unlovable. People you don't want to be around, but God says, no, somebody has to go and reach that person. Well, how can you do it? There'll be times when you share your testimony, and it is just what somebody needed to hear. That's the Great Commission. When you reach out in kindness and give somebody something or help them out financially, that's the Great Commission. 
in the church, we need to understand that what we're talking about is a way of life. This is not a profession. In other words, I do this professionally, but that's not what the Great Commission is. It's not a professional job. It's men and women just like yourselves who struggle through life and face each day and go to school and teach and go to the auto body shop and retirement and the office every day or whatever you do. And you take that message of Christ and the love of Christ and the example of your testimony, you take that in there with you. And you affect the lives of other people. Don't let, ever let anything stop you from doing that. It may, like in the first century, scatter you to another region, but do it there too. You know, it, it, we can always, if we are, our overriding guidance in life here is this commission that we've been given. Then the circumstances come and go. But we individually have to determine how this commission fits into my life and how I fit into this plan that God has. Now, why should we even care about this? That's the question. Because, you see, it's very easy for us. When things get hard, we turn chicken. We do. We turn, you know, to mush. We'll say, well, wait a minute. You know, let's take the first century Christians again. There they are. They've lost their homes. They can't work. They've been scattered because people are trying to kill them simply because of their faith. And it would be very easy for them to say, wait a minute, man, this is more than I bargained for. I'm not going to care about this charge that I've been given. So why should we care when things get hard and difficult like this? Why should we care about the things of God? That becomes secondary. All of a sudden, what comes to the forefront is my well-being. And the things of God become secondary. That's what I see happening among Christians. So why should I care? Well, here they are. Now, there are two reasons. Here's the first one. Because the Lord's return is near. Now, guys, you go through the New Testament and you ask, why should I do this? And over and over and over again, the New Testament writers tell you, you do it because his return is imminent. It's right at the doorstep. Look at this. In verse 7, he says, you do this until the Lord's coming in verse 8, he says, you do this because the Lord's coming is near. In verse 9, he says, you do it because the judge is standing at the door. Now, all of these verses are telling you, here's the motivation. Because someday, I'm going to have to stand face to face with him, and I'm going to have to explain how I thought I was excused because of what's going on in my life. And he's going to say, no, it doesn't work that way. You may adjust, but nobody's ever excused. Here's the second reason why we need to be involved and why it's important. And that is because the Lord will bless you beyond measure. God will bless you beyond measure. We're told this throughout the scriptures, but look at this verse. Verse 11. He says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. He said, we look back at people and we say, man, that guy was blessed by God. He persevered. We see what God did in his life. The next sentence, he says, you have heard of Job's perseverance. 
and to have seen what the Lord finally brought about, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What happened with old Job? Well, you know the story. He lost everything he had. His wife, basically, after he's sitting on this ash heap, says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? She was the one thing that should have been taken, but she was left. You know, just curse God and die and get it over with. And he says, no, I will remain faithful to God until he answers me why. He was searching for a reason why. But I will not, I will not turn against him. And so there he was, and in the end, the Bible tells us, God restored everything that he had lost. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, Job persevered in the middle of all this mess. He was faithful to God in the middle of all this mess. And in the end, God restored everything to him. God blessed the man. And then he closes it with this, this one sentence. He says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Man. Guys, I don't know what the future's going to hold. I've got an eerie feeling about it, but I don't know. But I do know this, that ever how bad it gets in the near future with this country and the things we're facing. That your God knows it already. And that your God is full of grace and compassion. And things can get hard, just like they did for other Christians throughout history. But my faith and my patience and my waiting upon the Lord gets me through it. I'm going to challenge you as we pull this thing to a close with this, this one thing that I told you earlier on. That in the middle of all the mess, when our lives are falling apart, we are still accountable to God to act like Christians and to be God's people. And we don't get a pass, okay? So, you know, if, if something happens in the future and the wrong party gets elected and our Supreme Court basically is turning against the Constitution, if everything you've known and loved all of your lives is changed in this country, your God is still a God of grace and mercy. And God says to you and me, you serve me in this situation. You be faithful to me in this one, just like you were before. And I will bless you. I really will. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we feel like we're being attacked from all kind of different sides here. Uh, it's not just the sickness. Uh, we're, we're hopeful and, and believe with all of our hearts that there'll be a vaccine for that coming along pretty soon. Father, we look at all of the things going on in this country and we're shocked and worried and scared to death. Father, I pray that we can back up for a moment and just take a long, hard look at who you are. And in the middle of all of this, take our eyes off of this and put them to you and to say, in effect, Lord, we know that you've got a plan. We know that you're involved in this because you've already prophesied it ahead of time. But Father, help us now as we shudder with the realization that things could change drastically. Father, give us strength that we would be found faithful in the middle of all this. And whatever happens that we might adapt and adjust, our lives may change, but the commission had, never has. 
our relationship to you never has. And so, Father, I pray that we move forward into the future in faith, patiently, one step at a time, trusting you. Because we know that you are a God of grace and compassion. And we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.